Welcome to the Guelph Politicast. I'm Adam A. Donaldson of Guelph Politico. Today, I am going to talk a bit, sort of off the cuff, about some of the things that have been happening around the local boards and shared services committee. I find these kind of interesting, and in this year, I have, uh, I guess it was sort of a New Year's resolution. I decided to make covering some of these, I can't cover them all. Well, I could cover them all, but I don't think I would do anything else. Uh, I make covering some of these, and I hate to say the most important of these committees, they're all important, but some of them I think are, are weighed a bit more heavily than others. Um, I've, I've tried to cover nine of them, make nine of these committee and board meetings regular appointments on the old monthly calendar, or at least the months that the, the committees are meeting. Some of them don't meet every month. Uh, some of them take the month off because there just isn't enough business to cover. So um, the ones I cover tend to be the like they're part of the city, but they're also not. They're kind of their own independent entities. So when, what am I talking about? I'm talking about things like the Grand River Conservation Authority membership meeting, which is all the municipalities, 20-some municipalities that are part of the Grand River Conservation Authority area. Public health, obviously, which you know is split between Guelph, Wellington County, and Dufferin County. Uh, the Guelph Public Library Board, uh, the Guelph Police Services Board, and the Wellington County Social Services Committee, on which... Mayor Guthrie is a voting member. I included, uh, in addition to that, the Accessibility Advisory Committee, the Committee of Adjustment, uh, Guelph Heritage, and Guelph Transit. Uh, that last one, of course, is a, a special treat for me, um, since transit is my jam. So I'm just, for this week's show, I just want to talk kind of briefly and um, perhaps not exactingly, because you can find the recaps for all these meetings. I understand if you don't want to dig through every Twitter feed for every meeting, but I, I do collect them uh, to be visited later if you so desire. Um, there is a tab at the top of the Guelph Politico page, Local Boards and Committees, which you can press, and it takes you to uh, this handy-dandy page where you can find the links to previews of the meetings, plus the recaps of the meetings uh, as they were tweeted live and in person. I'm just going to go across in alphabetical order according to the key that I, I have established here and just kind of talk briefly about what's been going on at these meetings and some of my personal observations. And uh, as, as we're kind of going into June and obviously, as we get into July and August, some of these committees will be taking the the summer off. So it seems kind of like a good time to to take to, to stop really quickly and to, and take a bit of stock in things. So the accessibility advisory committee. I'm going to start there. A A for accessibility. Um, this is one of those committees that meets every other month. Uh, although they have had four meetings this year because the January meeting was a supplemental to the. Uh, December meeting, which ran long. One of the interesting things you, you notice covering these committee meetings is that they try and run to that hard two-hour long meeting deadline. So if they don't get everything done uh, before closing time, either you know they vote to continue the meeting. But it, it's tricky with some of the members of the Accessibility Advisory Committee because 
they have rides or, or mobility transits that, you know, are picking them up at specific times if they're meeting in person. So they don't want to uh, miss an opportunity to, to get their rides on time. So sometimes business has to carry over and that happened in June. So um, to cover a bit of the business there, there have been two or three... I guess, ongoing issues that have been covered this year at Accessibility uh, Advisory Committee. One was obviously the aftermath of the 2022 municipal election and looking forward to the 2026 municipal election. The clerk's office has talked about looking forward uh, to that one. And we've covered this on past episodes of the Politicast, just what goes into planning an election and and what the clerk's office is going to be looking at now. In terms of accessibility, um they're, they're trying to look at the more technological-based options going forward. So one of the things that uh, – one of the details I learned is that these Braille sleeves, they had these Braille sleeves apparently ready to go for the 2022 election. They had to get them checked by CNIB first. Um, but because of that process, the, the Braille sleeves arrived, arrived late. Apparently, it was a really, really good product, according to the CNIB, but they arrived too late to be used in the 2022 election. So, uh, lesson learned there. They're also going to be looking at uh, a variety of other options for the next election, and that would include things like making uh, City Hall into like a, a, an accessible voting hub. So if you have an accessibility need and you're not sure if your local polling place can do that, you'll be able to go to City Hall and, and get that need answered 100%. Things like magnifying glasses, um, making sure those Braille sleeves come in on time, having a variety of accessible voting equipment, um, this is another interesting one, having sent free locations and, and mass locations. Obviously, the hope is that the pandemic isn't still such a pervasive thing in our lives in 2026, but um, people will still have environmental sensitivities, of course. And so you want to provide a bit of safety to those people. And the city is also going to be looking at internet voting options and, and continuing with vote from home, vote by mail, vote by phone, all these things. Uh, another thing that was looked at is playgrounds uh it's come up a couple of times in meetings uh the idea of these rubberized surfaces and you've probably seen them maybe in a park in your area there actually aren't too many parks in guelph that have these rubberized surfaces and indeed that was addressed at one of the meetings that uh staff was looking at the gaps in parks there are basically two areas of the city where you cannot find a rubberized surface within uh two and a half kilometers uh a two and a half kilometer radius in certain areas of the city. One is in kind of the South end area. So they're looking at turning university park into, um, uh, a rubberized surface, uh, location there, university village park, excuse me. And the other one's a Northwest end park. They don't know where that'll go yet, but the Northwest end of the city is another area that's underserviced by these rubberized surfaces. Although there are sort of like these distinct challenges, with uh with rubberized surfaces you know they get hotter more quickly if they're like under direct sunlight um they deteriorate faster um there's some equipment restrictions when you're using the rubberized surface so it's not as easy as you might think it's just not as easy like we're not going to use the wood chips here so 
Now, that was a topic that came up. Uh, they also talked about sort of accessibility needs with the new marker green splash pad, and that was like things to do with shade and things to do with benches and having places to sit and all that stuff. And then the other big area that's been um, looked at by the AAC is is traffic concerns, and that's on a couple of different levels. So, like the patio district downtown. Um, you know, obviously, when you take parking spots offline, you're making it harder for someone, if, especially if they have a mobility issue, to park near the place they want to go. And that's uh, something that's sort of come up a, a time and again with whether it's like the the parking master plan or or the, the parking caveats in the new comprehensive zoning bylaws. That for a lot of people with accessibility needs, uh, the car is a mobility device. So that has come up a lot at some of these AAC meetings. Uh, I want to move right along now to the uh, committee of adjustment. If you don't know what the committee of adjustment is, you've probably seen on planning meetings. uh, This is the developer bringing back like, well, this area is zoned industrial. Uh, We want to turn it into a multi-unit residential location as instead. And so that requires something called a zoning bylaw amendment. Committee of Adjustment doesn't handle the things that big. They handle what are called minor variances. So basically, you know, we want to build a second story. The bylaw says our backyard setback has to be, and I'm just pulling the numbers out of my uh, nether areas, but um, if it says the setback needs to be three meters, but the setback as it exists with the the footprint of, of the home only is two and a half meters, that would be a minor variance. A couple of different major projects have come up over the course of, of the springs and late winters committee of adjustment. One is the um, the upbuilding redevelopment at um, 50 to 60 Fife Road. This was the contentious dem- uh, demolition of uh, Mayor, was it Finwick's or Chadwick? It was Mayor Chadwick. His old home at this location ordered to build 18 more units of affordable housing. The city did pull its heritage um, listing for that property. It can be demolished, but uh, the project did have to come back to Committee of Adjustment for some minor variances. Essentially, it was um, a reduced private amenity area, some reduced off-street parking and visitors parking. The The project... Um, the property owners, I should say, were adamant that there, sh- there there will still be enough parking to cover the needs. Um, there were some general concerns about like the visibility of the sign because when you when you apply for a minor vi- uh, minor variance, you have to put up the sign that says you're applying for a minor vi- minor variance so that everyone can see it, everyone in the area, and they can uh, the delegate if they so choose, um, whether in support or whether it's against it. Um, there was some issue about whether that sign was fully visible to area residents who may have had a concern. Ultimately, the minor variances were approved. There was one member of the committee who voted against because he didn't like the loss of that um, that private amenity space. So that was in, I believe, February or March. Yes, it was February. Uh, in March, there was uh, a little bit of a more contentious uh, project. This had to do with a property at 26 Forest Street, which uh, involves, it's, it's a fairly large lot. It's in an older part of town, and it involves separating out parcels 
of the property. So where you had one property, you're, you're now going to have three. Um, there was an older home on the property. It apparently has to be demolished or um, because there was a, an oil tank discovered under the garage. Uh, it can't be removed without demolishing the house. So you're probably going to be seeing these come up a lot more. Um, and and they, they kind of might get missed because of, you know, Committee of the Adjustment isn't like a major council meeting. It's a, it's a citizens committee that um, a lot of these older areas of the city have like big lots, big yards. And, you know, why have one dwelling on a massive lot when you could split it up and you can have three on the same property? Um, you're also probably going to be seeing this a lot with like accessory units, and that's going to come up in a minute. But um, this was especially contentious because of there's con- you know the concerns about the tank, concerns about um, adding more units. This is a quiet street; it's a residential street. A lot of people are you know a lot of the things you might hear at the planning meeting. Um, also, a bit of philosophical, is this a minor variant? Is taking one property, tearing the house down, and turning it into three new properties, is that a minor variant, these severances? That is an interesting question that um, may become more of a an irritant as, as we're going forward in the next couple of months. So at the April meeting, there was another sort of issue with this in terms of like creating additional dwellings and on on properties so um severances is what it's technically called in this case it's on uh linwood avenue which is has the additional level of difficulty in terms of that it's also an area um that's in within the i guess the jurisdiction of the old university residents neighborhood association and uh Again, there, there's a lot of concern about this becoming pro forma, that you have a big property, you have a big lot, you're going to take, separate it and create new properties, ruining the character of the area, bringing in more traffic, um, putting, you know, I guess building also more homes more tightly together. Um, and, and again, another issue that... Um, this is going to come up more is, and I, I heard it at the um, old university neighborhood groups uh, annual general meeting a couple of weeks ago that they are very concerned about um, what the committee of adjustment is considering a minor variance. Uh, they don't consider it a minor variance, uh, although it seems like according to the the letter of the law, I guess the, these are minor variances. Interestingly, this was also a month where the Committee of Adjustment decided not to approve a couple of minor variances. This had to do with the project at 201 Elmira Road South, um, which is this big sort of uh, apartment, multi-apartment building development. Um, We're talking hundreds of units, and they have some issues with the angular plane and grading. Um, Apparently, it was... It wasn't minor enough for the likings of the Committee of Adjustments, so they uh, did not approve of the minor adjustments. This matter is now going to the Ontario Land Tribunal, so uh, that that is not a done deal. You will probably be hearing more about 201 Elmira Road South in the near future. 
The next thing I'm going to cover here is the Grand River Conservation Authority meetings. And I, I want to give full credit to the, the chair of this committee, Chris White, because, boy, does he run a tight ship. Uh, <laughs> full, full credit and kudos to him. Um, this is not an easy committee to navigate because, number one, um, it, it covers a lot of different interests and a lot of, a, a lot of area. You know, we're talking about from Dufferin County all the way to Hamilton. Um, second of all, there's a lot of changes coming at this, uh, well, at all conservation authorities, all having to do with uh, not just Bill 23, although, hey, that's definitely a part of it, um, but it also has to do with um, changes that go back to the first term of the Ford government. Um, they've been changing and reshaping what conservation authorities are, what they can govern, um, basically having to go back to municipalities to rewrite the rules, what services they can offer, what services are going to be covered by municipalities, what services are going to be covered by the fee structure. So a lot of that reorganization has taken up a lot of time at these committee meetings. Uh, recently, though, uh, for people who may be concerned about, let's call it the disposition of land, um, that has, has certainly come up uh, at the most recent meeting, at May's meeting, that there are some changes to how the GRCA will dispatch land. This is going to be particularly important when it comes to um, the old Courtright Waterfowl Park, which is in the south end. A lot of environmentally-minded people in Guelph have had their eye on that for a long time. What happens when the GRCA decides to sell it, if they decide to sell it? Well, that that process is a bit cleared up. The new process will event, uh, will um, see that uh, written notice is given 45 days in advance of... Uh, yeah, the, the potential sale of a property. Um, the Minister of Natural Resources and Forestry gets 90 days notice. There's a draft transaction notice that will go up, which includes the location, the description of the land, the date of disposition, and uh, potential future uses. Uh, people will give their comments to the GRCA through the, the public comment page. Um, they will prepare a report for the membership. It will be discussed in camera because it's a matter of land sale. All these things are discussed in camera because they, they, they can't put numbers and, and talk about like the negotiations of things in an open session. I know that's annoying, but that's the law. And uh, then a resolution will be moved in open session. So this this process is, is going to be particularly pointed um, for people who may be concerned about what's going to happen um, in pieces of land which are presently protected by the GRCA but may be deemed surplus or you know sold off for for a variety of other reasons and the other thing uh, another the other this is kind of trivial uh, in the grand scheme of things but um, maybe not trivial is the wrong word but Hamilton has been trying to renegotiate its position on the GRCA for a long time they presently have one member they feel like they need more there was a motion passed at last meeting in May to uh, have a sit-down conversation with the minister about um, looking at uh, increasing Hamilton's representation with another or two other members that is that's going to involve a lot of paperwork so um, the 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 GRCA membership has opened the door to that process so we'll that's another thing to stay tuned for 
That brings me to the Board of Health. I'm not going to dwell too much on the Board of Health because uh, a lot of the work there is pretty straightforward. They're trying to get back into the sort of the regular swing of things as they've been tackling um, a backlog of work post-COVID. COVID-19 isn't eating up their daily attention as it once did, so they're getting back to the regular programs and things. One of the one of the interesting things that was talked about was the investigation of this um, International Women's Day luncheon in Orangeville where, where people got sick, and we've explored that on a previous episode of this podcast, and we're just kind of getting back to sort of the regular order of things when it comes to public health. Um, that brings us to Guelph Heritage. Uh, Guelph Heritage has, by and large, um, been very active, although they did take last month off, which <laughs> might make you scratch your head a little. Um, but uh, they have been very, very active in terms of moving on the four priority properties that staff outlined at the end of last year. So that's the Albion, that is the Alice Street Clubhouse, that is the old um, infection hospital at 65 Delhi, and Titler Public School, or the old Titler Public School. Then they created a list of 10 other properties, and it took a couple of meetings for that to finally formalize. Because a lot of the focus, there was a lot of interest in, you know, individual properties downtown, also Catholic Hill. It's hard to sort of get into the intricacies of Catholic Hill, uh, although that is a national heritage area. There, there isn't a lot on the hill that the city of Guelph can sort of control because of um, the oversight of the Hamilton Archdiocese as well. And the downtown this is where the, the Downtown Heritage Conservation District study comes in. That is going on. Um, that is the second conservation district in process right now next to the OR Lands Conservation District. That phase one was finally approved. It was also approved by council. It's now on to phase two, which should come back uh, later this year. Um, there was also some additional interest on the OR Lands property because, well, number one, uh, Infrastructure Ontario is looking at a, the Trussell Bridge. They're concerned about the structural nature of that. They're also concerned about contaminants in the old power station. So that could be another demolition. There was a report about that. No recommendations were made. It was mostly just an, for information report to the Heritage Committee. Um I mean, it, there's a lot going on at this committee, and I mean, that's another reason why it was kind of surprising that they took the month of May off. There, there's just so much um, going on with the pedal to the metal to try and get things done before December 2024, when anything that is presently listed on the Heritage Registry is delisted. And there have been some concerning things coming out of this uh, this process. Number one is the difficulty of the committee trying to get on all the same page in terms of you know what to protect um, with sort of immediate effect. The, the The Albion situation, which was one of the four properties, the priority properties, I believe those of three of the four, I believe Titler hasn't been a- approved just yet, um, but. The Albion was approved by Heritage Guelph. It's coming to council next month. Um, in the discussion at the Heritage Committee meeting, it seems like they haven't been able to get a hold of the owner of the Albion to um, get his endorsement or, or to get his, I guess, cooperation. What they have done, they can't seem to be able to get in, 
get inside the Albion, but because of all the um, heritage value of the things outside on the exterior of the building, that's how this is going to counsel, even though they haven't been able to see inside. So that's a little... I don't. I don't know what you would call it. it, it it's. It's a little. It's a little off. Um, that the owner seems to be completely outside of the process, especially when you have the Alice Street Clubhouse. The owner there, who was um, submitted correspondence to the uh, the planning meeting last month, um, signaling his uh, enthusiasm about getting that property. Um, approve. And of course, uh, 65 Delhi Street, owned by Wellington County, they're building supportive housing there. They um, have initiated and, and submitted plans to Heritage Guelph to show how they intend to preserve the heritage features of that property and include them in the uh, the new reuse of, of that building as well. Uh, so the Guelph Public Library, obviously the big thing here is counting down to breaking ground on the new building on Baker Street. And every month it seems like there's a new bit of information. It seems to get pushed back every month a little bit further. They, at one of the meetings, I think it was the April meeting, there was some concern on the part of CEO Steve Kraft, just essentially that... They don't want to break ground and then nothing happen on the site. And so people are like left scratching their heads. Well, they broke ground on this thing. Why haven't they started building it yet? So they want to, I guess, create synergy in that regard. They want to make it look like there's momentum on the property. You break ground. And then, of course, the ceremonial breaking of the ground. And then you literally break the ground um, <laughs> with the actual construction. Um, in the meantime, though... Uh, the board has been, and, and staff as well, been kind of laying the case about why the building is, is so important. Um, there was a report at the May meeting about programming. Essentially, the desire for library programming is exceeding the grasp of the library. They just don't have enough space and staff and uh, time to, to do as much library programming as is desired. Um there's been a big comeback of library program, for, especially the in-person programming. Obviously, since uh, the pandemic, I hate saying the pandemic ended, um, but you know it, they did cancel the world emergency at the WHO back in April. So yeah, sure, the pandemic ended. The other thing they've been pushing is the use of the library as essentially a social service agency. So many people accessing library service because they're disadvantaged, they're homeless, they don't have internet at home. Um, there's even a report about the efforts of the library to get this uh, like naloxone training. Um, apparently it is a concern that some people might overdose in the library. And that's why it's important for, staff to sort of know how to use the naloxone. This has to do with sort of the limitations of the provincial government, certain agencies and, and staff members and, and, and service agencies get the naloxone training. Others don't. Library form falls under the former. But it is uh, an important reminder that the library isn't just a place where you go and borrow books or DVDs or whatever. It is an important community hub, and it is a very important community hub for people who um, some people in our community are in the greatest need. So look for th more information about that, I, I think, in the coming months. Uh, just outside of the, the hoopla about uh, a new main library building. Uh, also, congratulations to Mr. Kraft, who's celebrating 40 years of service at the, uh, the public library. So um, the 
very big milestone. Also, the 140th birthday of Guelph Public Library itself this year. Um, you may have seen the banners outside the new main building. Um, that brings us to the Guelph Police Services Board. Um, been kind of slow the first half of this year. And one of the things you'll notice is that um, these meetings kind of line up with either the, the recent um, fatality of a police officer or um, a, a public mourning or funeral for a police officer. There have been 10 police officers who have died in the line of duty in the last several months. So this has sort of become like a regular thing at the, at the police services board, having to recognize these passings. And one can certainly note sort of the wear on um, Chief Kobe as, as, he, as he's talking about these things. Um, the general wear on police and the mental health and, and well-being of police is something that's come up. Um, in regards to staffing, things, since they increased the level of staffing a couple of years ago at, at the Guelph Police, uh, things seem to have gotten a little better. There are still some vacancies and there are still some sort of longer-term furloughs for police officers who um, are, are suffering issues uh, in, in relation to their workload. Um, the other thing that I guess maybe the big thing is that uh, the police have been enacting uh, this HR plan to try and, and better accommodate uh, the changes and, and, and the changing workflow of the service. Uh, you may have remembered that uh, the Guelph Police hired a new uh, or an additional deputy chief. There are now two deputy chiefs who uh, are share something, sharing some of that leadership workload under what was, you know, there was one deputy chief and the chief. So, you know, there, there's a little bit of a, a shared um, shared workflow at the top of the leadership of, of the service now. Um, going forward, the emphasis is going to be, I think, on what next year's budget's going to look like, which, of course, is going to be a multi-year budget, and what the immediate needs are going to be, and uh, that plays into the recent decision to approve 260000 to add a couple of additional police patrols to downtown. That was approved by council last week and uh, was approved by the board itself last month. So safety is and how to best uh tackle safety issues in the city is probably going to be a much bigger conversation but for the most part the police board meetings have been kind of chill affairs the last few months social services too surprisingly a lot there's been a lot of focus on um bringing the the committee up to date on on the regular programs and things that the, the social services committee administers so that means child care that means ontario works and that means uh the housing situation um so the the county manages all kinds of housing needs whether that is the provision of social housing or rent geared to income housing or providing supplements to people who are having trouble paying their rent so a lot of these programs sort of received one-time funding in the during the pandemic a lot of money was coming in to address these emergency needs a lot of that is coming to an end 
and uh, there's going to be a, pig- a period of trying to figure out how to incorporate these temporary programs and make them more permanent, if that's necessary. There are also a lot of changes underway in terms of child care, because uh, we're trying to reach $10 per day child care here in Ontario and uh, the County of Wellington as the child care provider for Guelph and Wellington County. Um, it's not a magical overnight thing. They don't snap their fingers and now it's $10. They have to, it's, it's incremental. So there's also changes to the granting and things that are going along with that. So another thing in the social services like realm it, it's is not like it's going to lose money. The service is going to lose money in terms of childcare. It's just that things are going to be allocated differently. The paperwork is different. You're probably not going to notice it on your end, but it does mean some changes for how, Childcare is administered on the county's end and how the money comes from the province into the county's bank account because the county administers childcare, the province pays for it because it's kind of like the reverse of, of social services, Guelph administers um, paramedic services for Wellington County in addition to Guelph. The, uh, Wellington County pays uh, a, a percentage. There was a big council meeting about this last week, and I would encourage either to read the review on Guelph Politico or the recap, um, or maybe even watch the meeting for yourself. It, it was highly, highly, highly informative in terms of the challenges that paramedic services are facing, uh, especially with some of the facilities. The facilities are, in some cases in the county, woefully inadequate. And there's this weird thing where uh, the Ministry of Health covers 50% of the cost of ambulance services, but they don't wouldn't cover the cost of like building a new ambulance building per se. They do cover the cost of renting a building. So <laughs> there may be some funny accounting where you know Wellington County pays for the construction of a new ambulance uh, garage and facility in the city of Guelph that the city of Guelph then leases back from the county so um obviously there are a lot of plans in the works around this but paramedic services is 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 a piece of this puzzle that um, should not be overlooked either now last but not least there's guelph transit the, the transit advisory committee um there's a lot of excitement because of electric buses a lot of changes um coming in the future the 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 fares the the fair review strategy is being implemented as we speak there are going to be new um shelters installed at guelph central station starting this month there are new signs and and um new names for buses there's uh expanded service on several key routes um look forward to also changes coming to guelph central station the addition of a new building that that's still technically a couple years away but the committee has laid out or i guess i should say staff have laid out the committee what what some of what that building is going to entail what that's going to look like that's been covered at these meetings and uh additionally the the rollout of some of these electronic signs that you're going to be seeing in key areas like Guelph Central Station, like Stone Road Mall. I believe that they have awarded that contract, but obviously work has not started yet on on the installation. So there's a lot of a lot of stuff going on with uh, transit. You will be seeing in 
the next month the rollout of the communications plan in terms of how things are changing with the new fair strategy and the fair capping program and and you know how much you're going to pay for your bus pass and what your bus pass is going to look like going forward starting in September so that's kind of a wrap up of very very brief <laughs> of of what's kind of going on at these committees lately um just to speak sort of generally about observations i have like i'm coming off of covering council meetings and there's a very clear rhythm on you know thursday about 10 days out from the meeting you get the first agenda on the friday before the meeting you get the amended agenda with like delegations and all that the meetings the council meetings are easy to access they're on the city website so you can watch them from anywhere they're recorded so after the meeting you can still watch them I, 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 one of the things I've struggled with, um, I mean, aside from learning a bunch of new names and new faces, but just the, the differences in the way these meetings are managed. And this isn't a criticism. It's just something sort of I've noticed. I wish there was more universality to these things. I wish it wasn't just the police services and the GRCA who were posting their meetings on YouTube and broadcasting them live on YouTube. I wish the city would kind of do this as well. I find that, you know, YouTube is probably generally a bit more accessible than the city of Guelph site. Uh, but I find this for all sorts of meetings um, at the city of Guelph. Um, or, you know, the, the side uh, meetings, uh, the, the, the supplements, not the supplement, but the um, local services, things like the Guelph Public Library. I, I wish they would record those and put them on uh, YouTube uh, or broadcast them on YouTube or something. I, I just feel like the, accessibi- the accessibility quotient and, and making these things easier to access only serves the community better. And I also wish that, you know, the the Guelph Police Board will post an agenda and it's just like a bare bones agenda. It's two pages. And then a couple of days later, uh, a couple of days before the meeting, they'll post the full reports. I, I kind of hate that. I kind of hate how the Guelph Library Board only posts like a bare bones agenda. You don't get any of the reports. Um, you know, the, the, sometimes you get a, an agenda a couple of days before the meeting. Sometimes you get it like a week and a half out. It's just there's just kind of no universality to it. There's no kind of like sense of expectation. Like on this day, I know I'm going to get this agenda for this meeting. And I wish, I don't know. I, I, I just, I wish that was uh, something that we could change. Maybe someone involved in the, administration in these meetings are listening and and maybe you could take some of the things i say to heart maybe you'd like to reach out to me and get some more of my feedback i don't know but that's it for this week's episode of the guelph politicast the music for the guelph politicast comes from kpm classics and sid dale the guelph politicast is usually recorded at cfru guelph campus and community radio and to learn more about cfru go to cfru.ca you can download the Guelph Politicast every Wednesday from Apple, Stitcher, Google, TuneIn, and Spotify. And when you subscribe to the Guelph Politicast channel, you will get an episode of Open Source's Guelph on Mondays and an episode of End Credits on Fridays. You can follow Guelph Politico on social media at Guelph Politico on Twitter and at Politico Guelph on Facebook. You can follow me at Adam A. Donaldson on Twitter and Instagram or send me an email at adamadonaldson at gmail.com. If you'd like to help financially support the work of Guelph Politico, you can get all that information at guelphpolitico.ca slash donate. 
And finally, for all the latest local political news, check out guelphpolitico.ca, where there will be a new episode of the Guelph Politicast for you next week. And until then, we shall see you next time. Thank <laughs> you.